Welcome to the Clear Admit MBA Admissions Podcast. I'm Graham Richmond, and this is your Wiretaps for Monday, September 5th, 2022. I'm joined by Alex Brown from Cornwall, England. Alex, how are things going? Very good. Thank you, Graham. So the calendar has turned to September, and uh, did you know that this is the 250th episode of the Clear Admit podcast overall? Like not just wiretaps, but the you know admissions director Q and A's. Every episode we've ever run, we've done 250 of them now. So I, I did not know that until we sat down to prepare for this one. No, that's brilliant. Is that is that three years of podcasting? I think we started in maybe sometime in 2018, actually, if I remember correctly. So yeah, so it's been a few years now. We've had 264,000 listens to date. I pulled that stat and the number one episode is now the seven hardest MBA interview questions and how to answer them, which is a very early episode that we'd done when Jeanette Brown was the host of the show. I think you were the special guest on that show talking with her about how to tackle some of these uh, interview questions. So that's our number one. Um, yeah. And I have a couple other fun facts and figures like most of the audience is in the States, but we have had listeners in nearly every country in the world. I actually went through, I started to look, and I think there are only about 20 countries in the world where there has not been someone who's tuned in. So I thought that was amazing. One of them is Greenland. I can't remember, maybe Butan. We haven't had anybody. There are like a few that we just, no one's listened from Cuba. Um, maybe our podcast has been banned in some countries. I'm not sure. Alex. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what's going on. But um, yeah, it's kind of fun. So that we're tracking at about 1,000 listens per episode. Uh, I guess so. Yeah. I mean, some of them get more than others, but yeah. 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 So yeah. yeah. Wow. Yeah. So it's nice. Uh, now I will say we kind of need your help if you're tuned in, like this is, you know, our audience changes every year, right? So there's a new crop of MBA applicants. Um, those of you tuning in are probably, you know, in the throes of working on your apps and things, but you probably weren't listening to us a year ago, although maybe some of the faithful (laughs) have. And so because of that, we really rely on those tuning in to tell others. So please tell anyone you know who's interested in business school to join us. Um, that's the only way that people really find out about this. So um, it'd be great to get even more people uh, made aware of the show. Um, but Alex, let's get into the MBA stuff because I know this week is kind of an important week for round one MBA applications, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Wednesday of this week, Harvard and, and, and Wharton have their round one admissions deadlines. Duke and, and um, Darden also have early action deadlines this upcoming week. London Business School has a first round mm-hmm. deadline. INSEAD has a first round deadline, as does ISE. It's their early decision. Cambridge also is in the mix. So we're starting to really build up that round one admissions deadline activity. Yeah. And I know from the Clear Admit Plus webinar we did, yeah, there are a lot of people talking about Duke and that early deadline. And and I think we're even going to talk about a Duke uh, candidate today as one of our featured uh, wiretaps folks. So yeah, this is, you know, really things are um, going fast. It's really fast and furious. And it's kind of a who's who of top US and European programs this week. And I think it just goes on from there. We'll get into it next week too, right? Because there's got to be a whole bunch of, of schools that are coming too. Yeah. The whole of September, basically. Yeah. Um, in other news, uh, we've got Real Humans. Our, you know, we do these series called Real Humans, and, and in particular, we focus a lot on current MBA students. And so Real Humans is back for the new season. And the first school where we're profiling some current students is Michigan Ross. They're kicking things off. And, you know, some great 
students. We profiled six students. I love the questions that we asked them. I think it's so helpful. Like we asked them, you know, how did they decide to go to business school and how did they settle in on, you know, target schools and what do they think of the program they're attending and is it living up to expectations so far? Um, what are they worried about, you know, as a first year student? And so just a lot of fun. I love reading these. And, and so Ross is out. I think there are a whole bunch in the pipeline. Honestly, they, they have to be a great resource for those that are targeting these programs. Oh, yeah. So even if even if we haven't rolled out the one for your program yet this season, look at last seasons. They're absolutely fantastic. Yeah, really good idea, Alex, because, you know, it's it, what's interesting is I know we publish a lot of admissions tips and essay topic analyses, but the thing that's cool about this is I always find I just learn about like the little nuances of yeah. each program and that's like gold for your essays. So yeah, read, read the real humans for the school you're applying to or, or schools you're applying to. Um, the other thing we did is we ran some more admissions director Q&As, one for Vanderbilt, one for Rice. We also covered a story about Emory snagging $41 million in scholarship uh, donations that they're going to be um, able to distribute going forward, and HBS giving out full tuition scholarships to those in need. They estimate that 10% of the incoming class for the next cycle will get a full ride uh, scholarship. So pretty amazing stuff. Uh, yeah, I mean, that's that's you know basically what HBS is trying to say is if you don't have the means that don't let that stop you from applying because we're going to try to provide for you. Yeah, as we know, HBS and Stanford are very much on the needs based. Everyone else yeah. focuses on the on the merit based, and it is a little bit of an arms race amongst top schools using money to try to attract the very best candidates. Yeah. So. Yeah. Anyway, read those articles on the site. They're both interesting about both Emory and HBS and, and kind of, you know, having those scholarship dollars available. The last thing I want to mention before we get into our candidates for this week is that NYU published their class profile. And, you know, I guess we've already talked about UCLA. Um, I think we talked about Cornell, Wharton. So they're they're all coming out now, you know, as students have, you know, finally showed up on campus and the schools have a sense of, of what the class looks like. And so for NYU, uh, the counting stats, average GPA was a 3.62 for the incoming class. Average GMAT, 733, with uh, 49% taking that test and among the student body. Uh, GRE is an average score of 325, with about 21% of incoming students having taken that exam. You'll notice there are some other, uh, that, that doesn't add up to 100, so there are some folks who I guess maybe took the executive assessment. I can't remember, I, I feel like Stern accepts some other tests as well, and they may even there may even be a waiver process. I'm not I'm not 100% sure of that, but that's why that doesn't add up that's to That's crazy, 100. that's 30% that didn't take either the GMAT or the GRE. Yeah, I know. So there's, I think they, t I think they take the executive assessment and yeah, I'm wondering if... Color, yeah, color me shocked. Yeah, no, it is pretty amazing. 45% uh, of the class is women, which is up 4% from last year, um, which is great for, for Stern. 44% uh, of the class are international and that's up 12%. Their app volume, application volume is actually down about 10% and the size of the class is smaller too. So they admitted, um, well, they admitted a bunch, but the, the, the ultimate size of this year's class is 324 students versus 360 last year. And that actually means their acceptance rate changed a bit too. Um, you know, they, they had lower app volume, but they, so the acceptance rate went up to 27% this past season and the year before it had been 19%. So any thoughts, Alex, on this? Yeah, quite frankly, these numbers are crazy at one end of the spectrum and at the other. So, 
um, yeah, the, the counting stats of the, of the class profile look really, really good. But these numbers in terms of admit rates and reducing the class size and, and lower app volume are really, you know, they make you wonder, um, are we seeing, I think it's unequivocal that we had less candidates applying to top schools um, for last season, because we've seen several schools now report application volume declines. Yes. I'm also wondering if we're seeing um, a smaller group of candidates applied to more schools yeah. individually. So maybe that average median number of schools applied to jumped up because, you know, if these numbers are correct in terms of, you know, Stern's um, applicant volume dropping 10%, their admit rate going up significantly, yet still enrolling a smaller class is very um, interesting. So yeah. I think the only way we can really um, sort of understand exactly what's going on is when all the class profiles are in yeah. and then looking at these numbers across all schools to see really what happened. Yeah, and we'll continue to try to provide that kind of information here. The other thing I was thinking about is, you know, it's kind of easier today to apply to multiple top MBA programs than it was 10 years ago or even five years ago, because there's been this, you know, gradual kind of whittling down of the number of essays, the length of those essays, even in some schools cases, the number of recommendation letters that are required. And, you know, I just hear from school after school when we have them on our essay workshops, they talk about how they've spent a lot of time streamlining the application and really reducing any step that wasn't like necessary. Yeah. Uh, and so I wonder if that means that people are like, yeah, it makes it easier to just throw in another app or two and see where the chips fall with respect to scholarship, which seems to be a bit more on the minds of candidates today than it was, you know, 10 years ago or something. So I don't know. We'll see. I agree with you. We need to see all the data to make any really big, <laughs> bold claims here, but it's interesting. Yeah. I think there are two sort of underlying trends here. On the one hand, as the internet really sort of developed and, and much more information is accessible online, um, it reduced the number of schools you needed to apply to because you had more information and insight in terms of what schools were looking for so you could narrow your target list much more effectively. Um, but I think you're right, this sort of growing trend now, schools streamlining their processes to try to make it easier for candidates to apply has sort of reversed that trend almost um, in more recent years, potentially. And maybe we're seeing that increase now in terms of number of schools to apply. But these numbers, particularly at Stern, are very interesting. Yeah, definitely. I mean, hats off to them for maintaining such a high quality student body. But yeah, it's just yeah. interesting. So in any event, um, we'll get into more of these because I presume we're, you know, some of the other top schools are forthcoming and we'll, we'll profile these as we get them in um, each week. So uh, but I, I don't have anything else. I mean, obviously, if people need to contact us, they can always write to us at info at clearadmit.com. Use the subject line wiretaps and we'll get you a response. But You forgot to promote your essay events, Graham. Come on, get, get with oh, the program. Oh, God, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so we do have uh, actually the first um, of our essay events is coming up on September 13th. Or no, is it the? No, it's the 14th. So it's literally 
um, a week and change away. And that event's got Berkeley, Yale, Chicago, Wharton, and Cornell. Um, so we've got admissions officers from those programs. I'm going to emcee it, and I will talk with them about their essay questions and what they look for. Uh, these are always a lot of fun. And then we have the same uh, kind of events the following two weeks. And so we've got a whole bunch of other top schools joining us for those, including Columbia and Duke and NCAA, LBS, Dartmouth, et cetera. So the list goes on. But yeah, join us on September 14th. You can sign up at bit.ly forward slash clear admit fall, all one word, all lowercase. So you can join us. It's at noon Eastern. That's Wednesday, the 14th of September. And we'll sit down with Berkeley, Yale, Chicago, Wharton, and Cornell. Uh, how is that, Alex? I get it all in? You got it all in. <laughs> It right. could stimulate a whole nother conversation about these virtual events versus the Paris event you recently attended. But I know we're short of time. We can have that conversation <laughs> another time. Next week, I guess. All right. Sounds good. So um, it sounds like you're suggesting we should kick on. Yes, let's <laughs> kick on. All right. So this is Wiretap's candidate number one. So our first uh, entry this week is an apply wire entry. It comes from a candidate who's looking to start in the fall of 23, and the schools on the list are Dartmouth, Duke, Michigan, MIT, Kellogg, and Darden. This person's been working in tech consulting, and they're interested in either tech or pharma post-MBA. They've got companies like Apple, Google, Pfizer, etc. on the list. The GRE score for this candidate is a 319, and their GPA is a 3.47. They have five years of work experience. They're located in the Midwest and would love to be in a kind of mid-sized city in the Midwest. They mentioned Denver, presumably there are others on their list, maybe uh, Minneapolis, et cetera, I don't know. Um, so that's kind of their, their sort of target location. They do mention in the notes, um, the candidate says that she is a 28-year-old female, uh, five years of work experience upon the time of matriculation. Uh, they did an engineering, she did an engineering undergrad at a state school, and she has this kind of tech consulting background. She also mentions that she was a first-generation college student from a rural, a rural area in the Midwest, and that she received a full tuition scholarship and worked two to three jobs at a time to pay for giving expenses and stuff while in school. And, you know, very involved in extracurriculars during undergrad. It sounds like she's continued as well in that domain. And she mentions that after business school, she's really interested in kind of product management in the health and fitness space. So I guess that's where that kind of tech and pharma or, you know, healthcare intersect for her. And she's thinking that, you know, given her outside activities and she has a long history of involvement in kind of sports and fitness, that, that you know, kind of the MBA would be the bridge to helping her make this kind of pivot. Um, Alex, you had some advice for her and went back and forth about some stuff. And so I'll let you kind of take over here. What do you make of this candidacy? She's really keen to apply to Duke and was thinking of applying for this first deadline, right? Yeah. I mean, I'll, I'll be straight to the point here. I mean, you know, we could go through her profile and, and, and background. There's lots of things to like um, in amongst what she's articulated. Um, so, so let's assume that all looks very good. And I know we're going to get into a bit of debate round one versus round two, but I will be right up front. If she applies in round two, she will not, you know, her, her application, whether it shows up in round one, early action or round two, because she's kind of targeting Duke as one at one of her, her, her choices, her top choice, um, it won't matter squat to Duke when that application shows up. If they want her, they're going to take her. 
because she's got lots of sort of really cool aspects to the candidacy. The big sort of elephant in the room is going to be this 319 G, um, GRE. Now, they might still take her with this 319 GRE. Um, that's what, you know, that's what I think of the other elements of, 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 of the profile, quite frankly. But they might not. So she does retake the GRE and gets a 320, a 321, or a 322, or a 323. <laughs> she will have a better chance for, of admission, irregardless of which round this application comes in, you know, round two versus early action versus round one. That's my my assessment, and I'm sticking to that. <laughs> you can try to convince her that she needs to be in round one or early action, but I'm not buying it. Well, she was trying to convince us, right, that she should right. apply in the first round. And I, you know, initially I was kind of completely in your camp. Like, I agree, 319 is a relatively low um, test score. I mean, we see a lot of top schools with averages in the mid, you know, or, well, 323, 325, and, you know, places like Yale, it's even much higher. Um, the thing is, I, I then did a little bit of digging, and I looked, I was kind of curious, well, what is the average GRE score for Duke? And it turns out it's 317. Yeah, but that's small numbers. I, right. I, I wouldn't even look at any school's <laughs> average GRE score because they're all rubbish. I mean, look at what we just looked at at Stern, right? Yeah, 20%. Their average average um, GMAT is 733. Yeah. And their average um, GRE is seven, uh, 325. Those are not comparable. No. Right? No. Um, but that's the same for all schools. So I would not say that 319 is going to be better than average. I think that's off of a small number. Right. And then the, then you get into this issue of, I mean, she's a bootstrapper, first gen to college. Yeah. She's kind of, you know, super interesting. And so yes. the question is, is she's an engineer too. Yeah. I mean, there's yeah. lots of stuff that's going to favor her in the eyes of Duke. Her EC, her extracurriculars, her activities really lend well to her professional goals. Yeah. They're going to love that too. There's so much to like. She may well get that admit. Right in that first round. But if she retakes the G, uh, GRE, even improves it one or two points, that will make a material difference, maybe on the scholarship m money side too. Yeah, yeah. But also, even if she comes back with the same GRE, or, you know, slightly lower or whatever, you could still make the case that the fact that she retook the test again and really tried to show, um, you know, Put, put the effort in there that it might still be a benefit right um, yeah, yeah so um I'm, I'm a big believer that she she should wait right and knuckle down and really show that yeah that that additional score that said if she doesn't and she gets admitted in round one i wouldn't be shocked yeah we should have her come on the show if, if she applies in round one and gets in she can come back and and, and tell us you know what what, yeah. <laughs> what happened but i i do it is i agree with you in the sense that there's a little bit of a roll of the dice um with respect to you know kind of um if she applies in the first round and you know is you know like she risks getting waitlisted or maybe even rejected, right? Whereas if she takes the test again and, you know, yeah, so so clearly, and as you said, I don't think there's an issue with her applying earlier or later. That doesn't matter. Her candidacy is unique enough. So, yeah. So we'll see what happens. Hopefully she'll keep us informed as to how it all plays out. Uh, but yeah, so. <laughs> She's a clear, she is a clear Mint Plus member, so we do like that. Yes, no, <laughs> yes, she's terrific. I, I think she's going to get into a lot of schools. I just, I agree though that um, e even, you know, there are some other schools on her list where her score is quite a bit below the average. So that's where it even becomes more of an issue yeah. um, for me.
So in any event, yeah, but I appreciate her posting and yeah, I want to wish her the best, <laughs> best of luck. I wouldn't be distracted by this reported average GRE of whatever you just said for Duke, because that's, that's basically like saying that their average GMATs are 640 or something. Right? Yeah, it is low. I mean, huh? it's, yeah. It, 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 it's low. So I wouldn't use that as a benchmark, I guess is my point. Okay. Yeah. Makes sense. Um, all right. So probably enough said on her candidacy. Let's move on and talk about Wiretap's candidate number two. So this is another apply wire entry that we received, and this candidate's got seven schools on the target list. It's unclear, they indicate starting next fall, but they also, in the notes mentioned, they were thinking of waiting a year. So keep that in mind. But the target schools are Columbia, Harvard, LBS, MIT, Kellogg, Chicago Booth, and Wharton. Uh, This person's got two years in auditing, and two years in real estate investment and development. Uh, They're interested in private equity uh, post-MBA, and they mention companies like Blackstone, Carlyle Group, TPG, and KKR. That's kind of a hall of fame of of PE (laughs) uh, firms out there. GRE score is a 328, GPA a 3.73, and they've got four years of work experience. Uh, This candidate is Canadian, located in Montreal, Canada, and wants to land in New York. Alex, why don't you take us through this one? What do you you make of this? Because there was a little bit of debate about when they should apply. Yeah, I mean, they say they they, want to get into private equity. I think it's real estate private equity, and I think that tends to make a bit more sense in terms of their career progression. They've also been a top performer, both um, in their auditing role and their more recent um, real estate roles. So, so they've shown that real sort of top performance. They, they've got decent extracurriculars. Their counting stats are outstanding. Well, you know, 328 GRE, 373 yeah. um, um, GPA. So quite frankly, Graham, I think your advice on ApplyWire was right on the money because when they revealed that they're actually going to push their application back for another season, and I think it's to do with getting additional certifications in, in the real estate domain. Um, your, your pushback was, why not just throw in one or two apps this season? Not throw in, but apply to one or two schools this season. Yeah. See where you land, and if you're not successful, then you reapply for next season, and your only cost was, was the process of going through the application process this season, because as we know, as re-applicants, you, they, they tend to come back at a slightly higher admit rate for a variety of different reasons. They're certainly not going to be discriminated against. Um, and your sort of thesis all behind this is, why waste a year um, if you can start getting onto that MBA journey a year sooner? Um, they'll have four years of experience. That's, you know, four and five years. Probably four is more the median at this point. Um, so... I think that piece of advice um, was 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 most compelling. They can target round two, so they got a bit of time to get all their ducks in a row. Take one or two of these schools that they've got in their target list, yeah, and 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 pull the trigger. Take the schools at the top of the target list, right? So you know, Wharton, um, Harvard, and maybe one more, um, and and you know, Sloan or something. See see where they land this season. Yeah, I noticed in their um, comments, they mentioned that their order of preference for these schools is Wharton, Columbia, MIT, Harvard. I think that's related to the kind of 
real estate private equity yeah. angle because I think Wharton and Columbia have excellent departments in that domain, and I think yeah. MIT does as well. So, yeah. so I yeah, I, my advice for them like, why wouldn't you just yeah throw throw in an app to Wharton, and I don't mean you know be callous about it, but they you know just put it together and get it in because um, I feel like yeah they have a lot of positives like you said they're a high yeah. performer the numbers are kind of you know super high they're canadian which isn't you know makes them a little bit underrepresented compared to all the americans so yeah i yeah i i don't know i yeah i mean and yeah the, the, the only reason graham i didn't include columbia in this throw you know put your applications in this year is because we know if they're not in that columbia ed early decision um, is going to be a little bit more challenging. Yeah, that's fair. Certainly, Columbia admits a lot of people had a rolling decision, so I'm not saying it's, it's you know, becomes um, impossible. But, but certainly, it's going to be more challenging if that app's coming in in sort of January and it's coming in for Columbia. Um, so, so, yeah, that's why I would be like, well, focus on Harvard and Wharton and maybe throw one in for Sloan too or something like that and see where the chips land this season. Yeah, I agree. The last thing I want to say about this candidate is just that, um, you know, it's, it's, someone once told me like that, you know, the sooner you can get through business school, the more, you know, for every year that you, you know, kind of can advance that process, you have a year on the back end where you're, you know, earning potentials higher and et cetera. So exactly. just this idea, you know, so yeah, that's why I was kind of like, what, what's the, um, I know they want to do this certification, but hopefully they can figure, figure it all out and get in an application or two. Um, to some of these schools, because I, I think they're going to be pleasantly surprised. <laughs> yeah. and, and the other, so there's two benefits to, to this strategy. One is, as you said, you've got a year of income post-MBA versus a year of income pre-MBA, so that you would assume that that puts you in much better stead um, in, in the longer run. The second real advantage of this is the, 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 you know, what you go through this season, if you're not successful, um, really sets you up for next season, not just because the admit, admit rates are slightly higher for reapplicants, but also what you learn through the process this season will pay dividends for next season. Great point. Yeah, and I'm going to add a third point, which is that I expect application volume to still be kind of, you know, flat or down this year. And that may not be the case next year. <laughs> yeah, but we're seeing that clearly from last season yeah and i don't think i don't think the economy has gone into a big recession that might you know find like right now the economy is still the job market at least is still pretty good and so i don't see a lot of you know notices about like google laying off tons of people or whatever i mean it may, maybe it'll happen um depending on how the war and all these other things and i know you've said we're in like really new territory i think we're in new territory yeah, yeah. but i'm just saying i think that this year application volume is going to be flat or down. I don't think there's going to be a surge in application volume this year. Yeah. So another reason to apply. <laughs> yeah. Couldn't agree more. Uh, all right. Yeah. All right. So let's move on. Couldn't okay. agree more for very different reasons. How yeah. about that? <laughs> <laughs> so um, I want to thank that person for posting and for being, uh, you know, for actually engaging with us on, on the wire. I mean, it's always great when we can, you know, feature a candidate where not only have they posted to apply wire, but they've commented on their post or responded to something you've said. It just makes the discussion all the more um, richer. So yeah, appreciate them sharing. Best of luck. I'd love to know, like if they could keep us <laughs> posted as to how this all turns out, that would be really interesting. Um, we can come back and, and talk some more about it. Uh, but let's move on and talk about wiretaps candidate number three. So this is a, an apply wire entry we received this candidate, um, it's unclear as to when they want to start. They actually talk about waiting a bit. 
um, but they are an older candidate, so we're going to get into some <laughs> discussion on that. But they have the, a list of six target schools. Um, the schools are ESMT Berlin, uh, they've got HEC in Paris, uh, IE Business School, INSEAD, Oxford, and it sounds like they may have some other schools in mind, but they're not sure yet. So they have a kind of a, a you know a, an evolving list. Um, this candidate initially was working in kind of pharma domain, and I believe that's what their undergraduate training was in, but they quickly moved into um, civil engineering. Uh, and I believe they currently are an entrepreneur and they've set up and are running two civil engineering offices working on major projects in Europe. Um, and they've been doing that for about six years now. Uh, their GRE score is a whopping 329 and their GPA is a 2.21. So a little bit on the other end of the spectrum there. This candidate indicates that they're located in North Africa and they would like to um, land in Africa when they're done. They mentioned that they're 33 years old, um, so you know, definitely an older candidate, and they're looking to use the MBA to continue in the entrepreneurial kind of domain. They're worried about what they describe as an abysmal GPA. Is an MBA even possible in their case, is what they're, the question they've asked. So Alex, you went back and forth with them. What do you, what do you make of this candidacy and, and this GPA issue? Yeah, I mean, let's be frank, in their words, that GPA is abysmal. <laughs> um, their GRE 329 does make you think, well, actually, they're probably pretty smart um, and, 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 and so on and so forth. So there's got to be a reason for this, um, for, for this poor um, um, GPA. And I'm, I was just trying to find where they explain that. But I think it was more to do with focus and, and immaturity and, and, and so on and so forth. Um, so they've got to think about how do they fix that, right? So really the only thing that they can do, I mean, certainly they should apply, right? Because if they don't apply to these schools, they'll always wonder, was it possible, right? Yeah. So, so let's sort of get that out of, the, out of the way and say, all right, this is going to be possible, let's apply. Um, they're going to have to take some remedial steps or at least illustrate to ADCOM that that's what they're going to do over the next several months. Um, so to me, the, the obvious things to consider would be either MBA Math or HBS Core. Um, to then complement that more recent GRE score of 329, which is above average for all the top programs, um, and, and signals again that they're smart, but it's this sort of, will they put in the effort type thing that, that's probably more at issue. Um, so, so absolutely they need to do that um, in the least. And then there's a couple of other things that, that, in terms of their narrative and their story, that they need to be careful of. Um, it sounds to me, Graham, that they've had some pretty extraordinary entrepreneurial experiences and are doing very well, which makes me think, well, now that maturity component is obviously there. They're doing very well. They're very successful. They're currently um, managing um, 80 employees, a yeah. team, overseeing a team of 80 employees. Big number probably doing some really good things in, in the sort of North Africa region and so on and so forth. Um, so that's all very good. I asked them, okay, if you do go to business school, what happens with these businesses? Because schools don't want someone that's completely distracted because they're working on their entrepreneurial business during business school and not engaging in the business school experience. Um, but they explain that and they're, they're planning to sort of sever themselves from, from their current entrepreneurship. 
um, because they really want to show that they will fully engage in the MBA experience and they're really serious and they're going to take it on and so on and so forth. Because this then also aligns with this idea that they're, they're literally, they're, they're getting old, Graham, not <laughs> as old as us, but they are definitely at the upper end of the spectrum in terms of age for full-time MBA candidates. Because I did ask them, actually, is the full-time MBA program most appropriate or maybe there's another format of MBA that would serve this candidate better. Yeah. But they did come back and say, you know what? No, I want the full-on experience. I want to fully engage. I want to do this. So as long as that comes across yeah. um, in, in the profile, as long as they do take some remedial action, i.e. HBS core or MBA math, um, then they should absolutely um, target some of these um top top you know leading european programs yeah and i would say the european programs i think on the margin are a bit more um, first of all candidates are often a little bit older than their their american counterparts and so there's a little more flexibility and i think that you know varies i i you know i was going to say i think they're also a little bit more flexible on some of the counting stats especially if the work experience is really strong and really international yeah so i actually um i think i recommended that they look at uh imd uh, as well as maybe, I think I mentioned Cambridge. Like I was just kind of wondering if, you know, they want to, they might need to cast a pretty wide net. And so adding those two in could be, you know, those are both great programs. I just mean, you know, obviously the more that you look at, the more likely you are to hit. Another one that came to mind that would be, you know, admittedly, maybe a little bit more of a safety given the current list of schools they have would be Imperial, um, which has, you know, a very good MBA program in London, um, but maybe not quite as hard to get into as London Business School or something. So in any event, um, yeah, I, you know, the other thing I was thinking about with this candidate and in particular with this GPA issue is they mentioned that they studied pharmacy um, as an undergraduate, but then they only, I guess they, they had um, some minor experiences in that domain when they first graduated. And then they quickly ended up getting into this, you know, entrepreneurial venture where they're doing civil engineering or running these civil engineering shops and so it could also be that just that their undergraduate studies weren't, you know, aligned with what ultimately makes them, you know, what they're passionate about. Right. And so they've, it's taken them a little while to figure that all out. And now I just, I couldn't help, but as I was reading what they were saying, I couldn't help but feel that this is someone who would throw themselves headlong into the MBA experience and would be really excited to take all these classes and maybe be a great student. You know, it's not, um, it might just be that the undergraduate, you know, course that they took was not, it turned out it wasn't something that was right for them. And that's evidenced by the fact that they pivoted cr- pretty quickly out of that domain um, once they got into their career. So yeah. in any event, just, just a side thought, but. No, I think that's a very good thought, but also it brings to mind the idea that they're going to need to explain the whys behind that reasonably quick career pivot out of, you know, pharmaceuticals or whatever, or the healthcare industry into um, civil civil engineering, because obviously that is a pretty big change. Big difference. Yeah. And I want to give them one shout out in that I always like to make note of avatars that are good and they have a, um, a handle on the site, which is MBA Civ. So that's because they're a civil engineer, I guess now, or, or running these civil engineering shops. So oh, I couldn't figure it out. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Um, so yeah, but I think I, I do think this person could find success. I mean, you know, we didn't say it explicitly as well. But I mean, ESMT is a really good business school in, in Berlin. It's also, you know, there aren't that many 
many great business schools in Germany. And again, like an Imperial, I think the admissions, um, you know, the acceptance rate is pretty high um, as long as they can demonstrate that they're, you know, they have a great GRE score. Yeah. They, they seem to be motivated, know what they want to do. So I think if they cast this net to across these kind of top European schools, they're going to end up somewhere. Yeah. That's my, my hope at least. Yeah. Yeah. So best of luck to them. Yeah. 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 So I want to thank them for posting and yeah, absolutely best of luck. Um, Alex, we've done it. Uh, three candidates again profiled in this 250th episode of, of the Clear Admit MBA Admissions podcast. Uh, I'm happy to come back for 251 next week if you're around. <laughs> Very good. Let's keep it going. All right. Sounds good. We'll see everyone next week. All right. Take care, everyone. Stay safe.